Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Nicolas Sancy, the president and co-founder of Nanoe. Nanoe is a social venture developing manufacturing and operating innovative energy access solutions for rural Africa, especially Madagascar. Nanoe Solution rests on renewable energy, digital technologies, and local entrepreneurship. Nicolas has over 10 years of experience in sustainable development, social entrepreneurship, and energy access in Africa. Nicolas, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Nicolas, you're an electrical engineer by training. So what brought you to Madagascar and sustainable development? I guess a fascination for the African continent and also a strong feeling that I have for, for a long time now that uh, the electrification of the African continent uh, might be the biggest industrial, social and environmental uh, challenge of the 21st century. So, um, as you said, I've worked uh, in, in this field for, for a long time before creating NOA, mainly as a, as a consultant or an auditor. And um, one day, after a few years of experiences, I, uh, I wanted to do it by myself. Um, I was happy to, to advise and to control what was done uh, on the African continent in this field. But I really needed to be part of something and be the, the actor of something. So, you've founded Nanoe. And uh, honestly, before working with Nicola on this uh, Eureka project, maybe we'll say something about it later. I didn't realize the importance of digital technology in improving access to energy in so-called developing countries. Nanoe is very focused on digital technologies and local entrepreneurship. So can you describe your solution and how different is it from what already exists? Our ambition is, is uh, to, to open a new power infrastructure development path for uh, rural Africa. And by taking uh, up its two main energy challenges, there is one short-term challenge, which is energy access. So the challenge of energy access is to quickly provide basic and affordable energy services, uh, able to rapidly improve the living conditions of the largest share of uh, the population. But there is also a long-term challenge that is sustainable development. Um, and we want to do so by participating in the progressive building of decentralized, decarbonized and smart power infrastructure that are able to support the economic and social development of the continent. Well, it may look like an obvious ambition for rural electrification practitioner, but we believe this ambition is, is shared by only a few of the electrification solutions that are currently deployed uh, on the continent that have often, I would say, consciously or unconsciously chosen to cope with only one of these two challenges, the short-term or the long-term challenge, and often at the expense of the other. And why so, in your view? There are basically two main uh, electrification solutions uh, deployed on the continent uh, as of today. Uh, micro or mini-grid solutions on, on one side. And these are, I would say, 
AV solutions that can have a tremendous and a sustainable impact on local economic development. But they have proven during the last 50 years their inability to tackle the energy access challenge. In many African countries, like in Madagascar, for example, connections rates have been for decades, still are today and certainly will be uh, in a foreseeable future, slower than population growth. For economical reasons, mainly, these solutions are very difficult to deploy in, um, I would say, unstable countries and not financially supportive countries. And unfortunately, this is a typical place where most of off-grid Africans live today. Mm-hmm. So on the other end, there is another kind of solution that are solar home systems. Mm-hmm. So solar kits uh, only for households without any grid. And these solutions have proven during the last decades their ability, their ability to cope with a short-term challenge and quickly improve the living conditions of millions of households across Africa. But they have uh, been able to do so only by giving up on the long-term sustainability and developmental challenges. These solutions are not sustainable either technically because they have Mm -hmm. a very short lifetime, not economically because they are not compatible with uh, revenue-generating activities. Mm-hmm. They are not sustainable socially, I would say, because uh, they are transferring to the final user a lot of risks that are usually taken by the energy provider, like material thefts, breakdowns, and things like that. And they are not sustainable environmentally because they generate enormous amounts of dangerous battery waste that most of them are unable to collect. So that's why our conviction is that no technological business or, or regulatory adaptation would allow any one of these solutions to cut tackle the challenge they have always discarded. So the technological challenge and your solution is really, I mean, it's like a hybrid between the two systems that we said that are microgrids on the one hand and individual solar systems on the other hand. Yeah, exactly. It it is a hybrid solution. So the concept we developed is called lateral electrification and it's basically a progressive and collaborative process of building smart power grids uh, from the bottom up based on Mm -hmm. renewable energies, digital technologies and local entrepreneurship. So basically we deploy what we call nano grids. Mm -hmm. So these are collective solar systems delivering uh, power up to six neighboring households, commercial or community users that prepay by mobile payment days of access to an energy service that is limited to mobile and fixed lighting, phone charging, multimedia. Mm-hmm. And once we have a critical density of nanogrids uh, in a village, then we connect them or cluster them together to form larger village-wide microgrids that can deliver energy to more energy-intensive uses like refrigeration, pumping, and agro-processing machineries. So the main basis of the concept is this progressive approach mm-hmm. and another important pillar of this approach is uh, the use of local entrepreneurship as the main motor of uh, the deployment of these solutions. Why is this local entrepreneurship so important? Do you feel that it has, uh, let's say, an impact on the environment of the population, on the way they will make use of this electricity? Because last week I was was in Ouagadougou and I spoke to someone who said it's really hard in rural areas, rural settings, to convince the people to just get to pay for their electricity when they have never had it before. So they have to see the additional benefits before 
getting a new willingness to get involved with a different level of electricity access, etc. So the social impact with entrepreneurship seems really critical in the setting, in the process that you set up. I'm a bit surprised by this because I would say that my observation is completely different. On the contrary, I think the ability to pay off the local users in, in rural areas is quite important. Well, the ability to pay is not important, but their willingness to pay to have uh, access to electricity is important. We do not have to convince them that electricity is something that costs something mm -hmm. and that you have to pay to have electricity. It's quite different from other sectors like water, for example. It's far more difficult to convince people that water and I would say clean water, it's something for, for which you, you need to pay. It's very difficult also, for, I would say, for maybe waste treatment and things like that. The willingness to pay of the local population is very small. But for electricity, they are quite happy to pay. Well, I don't know if they are happy, but at least they know that you have to pay to have electricity. And that seems natural. So that's why an, an entrepreneurial approach is possible. And uh, that's why also we, we decided to work on this approach. But that's on, only one of the reasons. The, the other reason is that we are a social venture mm -hmm. and job creation and support local entrepreneurship uh, is also one of our social mission. Because what we see is that in the rural electrification uh, field, most projects are held by large international investors or large international entrepreneurs And this particular progressive approach is uh, interesting in the sense that it puts the electrification process within the financial and technical reach of local entrepreneurs. So with this progressive approach uh, based on the successive small investments to deploy uh, power infrastructure, you can rest on local entrepreneurship. And you cannot do so if you want to build large networks uh, from the start. But doing it progressive makes this solution possible. So how does it work in practice? How does someone become an entrepreneur for NanoA or how does that work? Well, basically we have several uh, platforms in the north of Madagascar, so in, in, in three uh, rural uh, cities of the north of Madagascar. And every year we launch uh, training sessions in these centers. So we advertise uh, with radio, with connecting with mayors of the rural villages uh, nearby. And we propose the different uh, local uh, young jobless people to, to join this training. And every year in each of these centers, we, we train between 15 and 20 entrepreneurs. But it's, I would say, quite a large uh, training because it's a four months full-time training for them to be able to find their own clients, deploy their own nanogrids, and then operate them with our support. So it's an entire activity to be able to manage. So the training is quite long, but these kind of professional opportunities do attract a lot of people because professional opportunities in the rural areas in, in Madagascar are not a lot. So these kind of activities uh, dealing with digital technologies, smartphone applications uh, that, that they use uh, during the job and solar energy is seen as something very modern that do attract a lot of entrepreneurs. So we have a selection process because we cannot welcome uh, all the candidates. 
but uh, there is no, I would say, diploma or financial criteria uh, before joining the trading session because this session is free. Okay, and what are the criteria for the young people to get selected to do this training? I mean, do they have initial trainings or just basic school levels? We don't even ask for uh, their, their school levels, mm -hmm. but within our test, we include some basic mathematics, basic economy questions to check that they are able to read and do basic calculation. It's important. Uh, it's an important prerequisite before joining uh, this course. But the main criteria is uh, knowledge of the local area. So we want to be sure that they live in the area in which they want to work, that they have a good reputation in the different villages in which they aim to work, and that their motivation is, uh, is strong because the training is free, but they are not paid during the training. So these candidates join us. It's also an investment for them because they know mm -hmm. they will not be paid during the four months of the training and they will have the opportunity to get revenue only after the training once they, try to, when, when they start to develop their activities. So it's very important to, to see their motivation and uh, if they're interested in all the field of these trainings that are in marketing, in electrical, technical uh, issues, and also on uh, business management. So they have to be interested in at least these three fields before joining the, the session. What are the main motivations of those uh, young people who decide to join the training? I mean, I'm thinking about women who could decide to provide for their families or willingness to just um, improve their situation. Is there any particular reason for deciding to invest so much or and dedicate so much of their time or money really on, on this kind of training? Well, I would say the first motivation is the interest for digital technologies and energy technologies. So really they see this as an opportunity that is not very widespread in, in these uh, rural areas. In these rural areas, if you don't want to work in the field as a cultivator, there is not a lot of choices between the different uh, available uh, positions or, or possible activities. So the people we, that are joining us, they are mainly attracted by uh, the modernity of this kind of training and this kind of solutions. And another motivation is also, it's also a way that we see for, for them to contribute in the development of their community, also to acquire some form of social status because uh, they will be the one providing electricity uh, to, to their community. So, yeah, it's a mix of, I would say, economic and social uh, motivations that is, to be honest, not that easy to understand. Uh, I've been in Madagascar for the last four years. I've talked with uh, almost 100 of these entrepreneurs that we have trained. And it's not always simple to understand their, their profound motivations. But I, I think I'm quite right when I say that economic and, and, and social reasons are the main motivations. And do you think that this social motivation is something, let's say, quite widespread in Madagascar? Like... The population over there is extremely young and they might have bigger aspirations than being cultivators. So how much of these new generations, what are their, their vision or aspirations for the future? Because in, in some way you are also accompanying them in 
accessing new opportunities? Yeah, for sure. A lot of them. I, I will not say most of them, but uh, a large share of uh, these rural youngs want something more than what their um, region of uh, birth can offer them. That's why a lot of them are uh, migrating to the main cities or, or to the capital. That's also why we wanted to contribute in, in, in the creating new professional opportunities locally to, to offer them possibilities to have a modern job where they live and not have to move to the, to the cities. So, um, yeah, I guess this is something that you can find in, in many African uh, rural uh, regions because a lot of them are connected to Facebook, they are connected uh, to the social media. So they have a specific idea of what the life in the city is. And they see that it's quite different from what they know where they are. So it's quite common to have this, this ambition to get away from uh, where they are. And I hope we contribute to limiting this, um, this effect uh, in the area in which we, we offer these new job opportunities. I'm pretty sure you are. So how many people are enrolled and how big uh, are the nano networks that you manage? So we started in uh, 2017. And uh, as of today, we have trained a bit less that, than 100 entrepreneurs. So I think we have 93 or something like this uh, that are active today and that have deployed uh, over 1,000 nanogrids. So one nanogrid is connecting four to six clients. So they are, we have connected, or, or these entrepreneurs have connected uh, over 4,500 users that are quite widespread in, in almost 200 villages uh, in, in the north of Madagascar. So yeah, that's basically the, the number we have. So. These entrepreneurs, they are not uh, left alone once they are trained. So that's why we mm -hmm. also have staff locally in three offices that are here to, to support and also to control the activity of these entrepreneurs because we want to make sure that uh, they are not left alone if there is any technical or even commercial issues in, in, in one of uh, the systems. And we also want to ensure that the service quality for the final end user is homogeneous between uh, all entrepreneurs. So, yeah, or the job of our staff, um, that is, uh, as of today, about uh, 35 people uh, in Madagascar, is to train and then support and control the entrepreneurs once they are trained. And how many women are a part of this program, or proportionally? It's a big subject for us. And to be honest, it's a big disappointment for us because I'm not proud to say that there is only a few women. So we have only 10% of women uh, between these entrepreneurs. Also, we have um, developed, I would say, quite proactive actions to attract women because the first women that we have trained, we could see that they are quite uh, well-performing entrepreneurs. And, uh, but it's very difficult to attract women in, in this kind of training because I would say socially, most women do not see them as working in the electrical uh, sector. Um, in the electrical sector in Madagascar, uh, the percentage of uh, women is less than 5%. So 
in our staff, we have more than 50% women, but for our entrepreneurs, I would say we are capped, deceivedly capped at 10%. And that's something that we'd like to improve, but I have to say that it's quite difficult. And if I'm correct, the other co-founder is a woman, so who's also an electrical engineer. Yes, the other co-founder is a woman, and uh, most of our uh, management positions are, are women, both in commercial uh, position and technical position. But uh, for the, I would say, uh, less educated uh, people from the rural area, electricity is is not for women mm -hmm. and so it's more difficult to convince them than to convince women with a university degree uh, like the one we have in our staff to join this sector mm -hmm. and why so in your view well women in madagascar they, they mainly contribute in the field and they usually work in small um, shopping position Not shopping, I don't know, it's a good word, but... Like salaries in marketplace, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, they are often at home mm -hmm. and from their home running small businesses and going to the field when it's needed. Okay. And the male are uh, usually the one taking, I would say, professional positions that will uh, occupy them 100% of the time. And they are the ones that are more often out of the, of the house. So all technical jobs in the electrical sector, but in the water sector, in the building sector, are largely uh, trusted by, uh, by men. Okay. What do you see for the future? How do you envision the future? Now, electricity is becoming one of the key topics for uh, sustainable development. It's a key focus of international donors. So what are your objectives and expectations? Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the Eureka project in particular. Yeah, the aim of the Eureka project is to support us in developing further this bottom-up uh, power infrastructure development path. And it's a really good opportunity that we have to work with uh, many partners like ODT, for example, or, or all the, the members of the LIPARI consortium on this subject. Because what we want to do is, and I would say our main objective, uh, our main challenge um, in the next few months and few years, is to impose this particular electrification model that we have seen in Madagascar can have a great impact to impose it as a credible alternative to the current electrification solutions that, that do have important limitations and that will not alone be able to achieve the sustainable development goals uh, regarding the energy sector. So um, we have to develop further in Madagascar. Uh, we have to go on innovating on this solution and we have to communicate and to reach other operators in other countries, convince them that this solution is a, is a good alternative to the, to the current electrification solution. So basically, we do not think that we will electrify Africa alone, and it's not our ambition at all. But our ambition is to share this knowledge, uh, share these technologies for them to, to be deployed elsewhere than in Madagascar by other 
entrepreneurs or other NGOs that, that want to, to benefit from this impact. That's quite a nice and a great plan. And it's also a nice way to wrap things up. So I will invite our listeners to just uh, tune in to the Libre platform. Uh, so it's the um, website that gathers uh, projects like Eureka and uh, other projects throughout uh, Africa on uh, electrification, access to electricity and digital solutions. And also to look at Nanoe's uh, various platform. Where can we find you? Uh, you update very often the Facebook page, if I'm correct. Are there other ways we can contact you? Well, we do update sometimes our Facebook page, <laughs> but we are, I would say, stubborn engineers and we are not great professional in communication. So we do not update this too much. And it's the same for our website. We do have a website, www.nanoe.net, but the best way to connect with us is to yeah to contact us through either LinkedIn or to the contact page on, on our website and we'll be happy to to discuss and well we are passionate about what we do so we take pretty much all opportunities to talk about it so yeah please feel free to, yeah. to connect yes stubborn but uh, really passionate engineers you don't find them so often so i'm really glad nicola that you took the time to discuss with me today about uh, your uh, project with nanoe and about this opportunity to create more and better access to electricity in rural madagascar i wish you the very very best and uh, actually i'm looking forward to coming to madagascar and seeing how it works in practice thank you so much nicola thanks to you marin Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.